0: From the social justice classroom inside Cuboid Secondary, this is Voices, a youth-created podcast driven by a steadfast commitment to improving the world around us. Hi, my
1: name is Alessi, and my name is Tilda. And you are listening to Voices Podcast. Today, we are excited to be interviewing Jolly Proter, a sexual health educator at Salima Noon Foundation. Salima Noon Sexual Health Educators is home to trusted sexual health and empowerment
0: educators with more than 20 years' experience in British Columbia. Their mission is to bring empowerment education about self esteem, body image, or assertiveness to every child in British Columbia regardless of their financial or life circumstances. To reach families and kids they never reached before.
1: So uh, we have a few questions for you. Uh, It's around 11, 12 questions. So the first question is, what drew you to this topic and inspired you to become a sexual health educator?
2: That's a good question. I think I always knew that I wanted to work in sexual health. Um, I also am trained as a teacher, but before I was a classroom teacher, I did um, an undergraduate degree that specifically focused on toxic masculinity. So um, really looking at gender and looking at um, sexuality and sort of of homoeroticism and heteronormativity and all of that um, specifically within a Canadian context. And then after that, I um, traveled the world. I was um, surfing and snowboarding and and teaching and volunteering. And I ended up in Mexico working at an alternate school. Um, And so after that is when I was inspired to go back and do my master's um, more in gender and policy. So thinking about the ways that white Western women and white Western feminism um, can impact the way that we see um, developing countries and the way that we see them educating their girls specifically, um, and sort of looking at what it means to be um, a charity or an organization that tries to help um, a developing country. And then from there, so that was sort of my gender um, studies. And then from there, I started working in a classroom. um, And I obviously saw, like you can see, um, a gap where um, kids aren't always getting the information they need, right? Uh, there's a lot of focus on, you know, math and reading, um, but there's a lot more that goes on in school every day, right? Yeah. And I know that a lot of youth are also not supported at home. So if they're not getting it at school and at home, how are people supposed to empower themselves, mm-hmm. right? So that's sort of the, the long route that I took. Um, but for me, it's really important. It's really important to empower people to teach kids as early as kindergarten about consent, about feeling um, safe in their own bodies um, and carrying that conversation and seeing how it develops through the years, right? Yeah. Which is great. Yeah. You already mentioned the gaps in the education, but um, where are the gaps in the education in Canada
0: that you noticed when it came to educating kids and youth in Canada on sexual health? Like, What did you notice?
2: Um, another good question. I noticed right off the bat, if you are a teacher, um, you have to train yourself. To learn about this stuff, to learn how to appropriately teach it to kids, um, to learn what topics are important. And we know that teachers are busy, right? So they're doing this in their own spare time, they're spending their own money on resources, if they do it at all. Um, And then they're helping their peers teach it as well. So I know that if if teachers wanna do it, they sort of take it upon themselves, which is awesome. A lot of teachers do, and a lot are just too busy, too tired. They don't know where to start. Mm -hmm. I also see that you probably already know it's in um, the curriculum under physical education. So it's under um, that curriculum, which we know um, a lot of gym teachers are just not doing that. Number one, they're not trained to do that at teaching school. We didn't get any training at teaching school. Um, So I see that side of it, there's a lack of information for teachers and a lack of sort of um, empowerment for teachers to go out and do it support, I guess. And then I also see a lot of um, adults because we teach parents too. we give parents a little pre session, and we get them all pumped up on how to support their kids and what books to get and what to say when their kids start asking. And I see a lot of parents are really scared. They're really anxious. They don't know how to talk about this because of that um, generational gap right um a lot of canadian vancouver parents are newcomers and a lot um who are settlers who live here they don't have the information they don't know how to talk about this they're still feeling shame and fear and stigma themselves and so how are they supposed to be normal and casual and supportive to their kids so i see all these sides and then i see it every day in schools kids um Touching each other inappropriately, using inappropriate language, not using the language of consent culture, right? So there's like all these different pillars that need to kind of be working at the same time um, in order to get this in order to get the wheels moving. Right. Yeah.
1: So as it stands today, how much or what type of sexual health education do students typically receive in the British Columbia K-12 school system?
2: Okay, so it is in the curriculum. Um, It's about one sentence per grade. And it's so you can look it up yourself if you want. Um, BC curriculum is all public knowledge. It's all online, you kind of have to dig for it, you look under physical education. um, And it's pretty basic. It's pretty minimal. Um, it starts with safety right what, what we're talking about with the youngest age is this is your body you're in charge if anything feels weird or uncomfortable or or awkward with your body you got to talk to a trusted grown up That's space level right, and then we go all the way up until grade 10 where um, after grade 10, as you know, gym is now an option, right? Physical education is an option. You don't have to take mm-hmm. it. So lots of kids who don't take it, they don't need anymore, more. It, it's off the radar, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, where you could argue that's a really important time to be teaching these things or to have them available through different topics um Tilda you mentioned that you learned it through biology class right yeah. because at the end of the day it's science right mm-hmm. when we talk to the young kids we call it body science and we say who loves science who wants to be a scientist let's learn scientific names for our bodies and number one who, who doesn't love science right who isn't excited about that number two it takes away all this the shame and the stigma of okay close the door quiet hush hush we're going to talk about a special topic that we don't usually talk about right that makes things weird so um, right now, if Salima Noon and me and our team goes to visit a school, they get about an hour a year of um, sexual health, which a lot of people go, tick, awesome, we did it. Um, but if kids are absent that day, if they didn't absorb everything, if it didn't make sense to them, um, if there aren't teachers that are taking it on board themselves in the, in the school community, then um, they're relying on what they get at home, which mm-hmm. we don't know, yeah. right? It's different yeah. for every family. Yeah,
0: You kind of answered our next question uh, a bit, but like what in particular do you do as a sexual health educator at Southern Noon Empowerment Foundation? And is there a specific age group or demographic you typically work with?
2: Yeah, so good question. Like I said, um, I work with kindergarten to grade eights um, and we go in and we start really basic, just scientific names for bodies, um, reproduction, so how a baby is made. Uh, where a baby comes from and at that point like the kindergartners it's really just exposure for them they're not going home and asking their parents really complicated scientific questions about umbilical cords right Mm -hmm. or the uterus no they're noticing they have a belly button for the first time or they're um, hearing that their family is you know um, special and all our families are different right we talk about healthy families um and we talk about what to do uh, if anyone touches your body in a way um, or in any of your private parts, I should say.
0: Mm-hmm. So that,
2: that's sort of um, the demographic. Um, and then we, we build up from there. So grade two and three, we repeat that message grade four or five, it gets a bit more complex. We start to get into puberty um, at about grade three uh, and then grade seven, it gets a little bit more real. And we talk about um, online safety, pornography, sexting, um all that good stuff uh and sort of a little bit more um the sexual health side of things preventions stis that kind of stuff so it really just builds and builds which is a good thing a lot of um kids see me and they say like yes you're that lady from last year that came to talk to us right uh which is great but not every school can afford to have us in every year so sometimes mm-hmm. it gets lost and it just doesn't get taught at all which is yeah, unfortunate.
0: so sorry so you're a teacher kind of from the foundation and not from the school like you go to the school um, sent by the foundation, right?
2: Exactly. Sent by, I would say, um, by our organization. Um, mm-hmm. We also yeah. we have a foundation as well. But yeah, so we get hired by the school. Uh, often it's a group of parents that want to get us in. Uh, sometimes yeah. it's teachers or, or principals. And then sometimes we usually teach in private and public schools. But sometimes if a Catholic school, which has... Um, From my understanding, not a comprehensive sexual health education, I'll go into a weekend session with them. And so I'll go in, and it's a group of parents who've gathered together with the community um, and they get their kids together, and I teach on the weekends to Catholic school kids. Yeah. Okay. Okay.
1: So, in your opinion, what is the most important knowledge that teenagers or teens, youth in general, should have when it comes to their sexual health?
2: I think the most important knowledge for me is for teenagers and youth to know that they should trust and protect um, and value their own bodies. So I want everyone, when I talk in our workshops, I want everyone to feel that they're included in that conversation, um, regardless of who they are, how they identify, what their abilities are. um, So that I want everyone to hear that their body is worthy um, of not only respect, but of love, and they get to determine what that kind of love looks like right? They get to say um, who goes on their body, who doesn't, they get to say what they like, they get to say what they find pleasurable or exciting or not, they get to decide whether they want to ever have sex one day, right? Um, And so they get to define the parameters um, of what their own sexual health is for them, right? I also want them to see it as health, right? This is how we look after our bodies. It's not all about pleasure, right? Or about finding a partner or being in a relationship or love. Um, It's about looking after ourselves, really. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. Um, So our next question, um, do you think that the substantial number of teen pregnancies and STDs cases today are a result of poor sexual health education in Canada?
2: Good question. Did you do some research on this? What's, did you do research on the teen pregnancy Uh, rates? Yeah, we did.
0: Uh,
1: so that was a thing that we were very curious about mm-hmm. because, from what I've learned in my experience in Brazil, is that most teenage pregnancies occur, at least in Brazil, in more uh, poor uh, regions, poor regions in Brazil, which don't have really access to sex uh, health education.
0: Mm-hmm. So,
1: usually, the, the teenage pregnancies are a direct result from uh, people, teams, who are not doing sex in a safe way. They're Mm. not using any contraceptives, not using condoms or putting condoms on incorrectly, reusing condoms. I've heard of that. Mm. Um, So we did some research and it came that per year in Canada, all throughout Canada, there are 40,000 teenage pregnancies. Uh, and STD cases, it's quite a
2: close number as well. hmm Okay. I love it. Um, yeah, so I could tell you that sounds like a lot, right? I can tell you the good news is, um, teen pregnancy rates have been declining for decades. They've been going, um, there's less and less of them, um, which I mean, I'm not here to judge. I don't want to say that teenagers don't make great parents, Right if that's what they want, teenagers can make amazing parents and start amazing families. Um, but I do I do worry about the unwanted pregnancies, right? And like you said, um, people not understanding what tools um, and preventions they can use during sex, or people who are in non-consensual relationships, right? That's what, what we're more worried about um we do think that the rates are or we do know that the rates are going down um std sexually transmitted diseases uh is more of an the american term in canada we we use std but we use sti in fact the most up-to-date one is stbbi um, sexually transmitted blood-borne infections right mm-hmm. so that's like the the actual language we use um Those rates are going down as well but we have work to do and we have a lot of work to do with condom usage as well, here in Canada. Um, I don't know I think it's a combination of both education and also access, um, as well as stigma. We know that it's harder for someone in a rural community or even in an Indigenous rural community um, to have these accesses to things like a youth clinic or confidential private information or even a family doctor or um, a walk-in clinic, right? We know that um, across Canada, our healthcare system is in crisis, and it would be hard for me to even get a doctor's appointment tomorrow, right? Someone who has resources, someone who speaks English someone who has time, right? A car. Um, So I do think access is a tricky thing. Access not only to supplies like condoms and birth control and contraception, but access to real information, right? Um, Even with the internet, we know it's hard to determine what is the website that is telling us the truth or not, right? Mm -hmm. Um, That and also, um, so what did I say? Education access. Oh, and stigma. I know that a lot of people um, are, uh, a lot of young people are still not using contraceptions and condoms because they don't think it's cool, or they don't think it's sexy, right, or they're just not, they don't know all the information. So I think stigma about back to our conversation about health, uh, if we frame it from a healthcare perspective, right? Like the same way that we use gloves if we're performing something or the same way we use a mask if we're in close contact with someone with COVID, right? These types of protections need to be thought of as like health and safety rather than kind of an afterthought or a choice or whatever. So I think there's a all, it's kind of those wraparound ways that we see these things. I also tell a lot of young kids, if you were ever going to use things like condoms or lubrication or contraception, um, you would buy them beforehand, right? You would talk to someone about it. You would read the instructions. You might practice using it, right? You might even talk to a healthcare professional. It shouldn't be just sort of like an afterthought panic in the moment thing that you're trying to use or not. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. Yeah, I hope that answers that question. There's a that's a huge yeah. question. <laughs> oh, it does. It
0: does. What do you think is a good way to approach the topics of teen pregnancies and STDs? Well, with teens, or as you said,
2: I? s-t-b-b-i you can add oh, that to S-T-B-B-I. your vocabulary yeah i, I leave out the bb a- I leave out the bb because it's uh, annoying but i say stis <laughs> okay and
0: is there a particular age when it would be appropriate to learn considering measuring levels
2: your my answer will probably surprise you um the younger you can start talking to kids the less weird it's going to be when they actually need the information mm-hmm. right if like for you for instance, both of you are sharing in your experience, you've been talking about this in your household since you were preteens, right? Yeah. Um, I would encourage parents to have these conversations with kids when they're, as soon as the kids are asking or in kindergarten, right? Or earlier. So these conversations involve talking about this as a normal topic, getting books and supplies that are age appropriate. There's so many good um, LGBTQ inclusive, like um, body positive books out there about um, puberty. Right. So having those laying around the uh, the house for kids to look at. I think the earlier, the better. Um, I know from experience, if I walk into a room of grade fives and sixes and I say, I'm going to talk about sex today, they'll go, oh, my God. Oh, no. They're plugging mm-hmm. their ears. They're yelling. They're making barfing noises. Right. Yeah. But if I walk into a room of kindergartners and say, I'm going to be talking about sex today, like maybe one or two will giggle. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's that exposure young. But then if I've been teaching them since kindergarten and I come every year and I come in grade five, they kind of roll their eyes like, oh, not this lady again. Right. So we have to kind of approach it in a way that's uh, developmentally appropriate for kids. But also we just have to take a deep breath and take the stigma right out of it. Right. I tell them I'm a scientist. I talk about this all the time. This is very normal for me. Um, And they should feel the same way when they're talking to adults in their lives. So I think the younger, the better. Um, But I also know that parents are scared, right? Parents need tools. They need support to start these conversations because they didn't have these conversations when they were younger. So it's a generational divide, I think, a generational gap. And I think we need to sort of end that gap by getting everyone getting on board and and making this a normal topic for kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that question.
1: Okay. So Uh, Another question is, do you think sexual health education can be an effective way? You kind of answered this already, but can it be an effective way to prevent sexual harassment or abuse that can happen to kids and teenagers?
2: Um, I do. I do think this and I do know this from research. So research tells us that um, young kids who are educated Um, and knowledgeable about their bodies, about consent, about appropriate names for their bodies are at a reduced risk um, for sexual health. I'll tell you a story that I share with parents that I teach. Um, One of our mentors, her name is Meg Hickling. You can look her up. She sort of Um, trained Salima uh, and then Salima trained me uh, in this work. And she's a pioneer who was doing this in BC for 30, 40 years ago. She started the work of sexual health education with kids. Um, And she used to go to prisons as part of her research. And she would interview um, pedophiles and child molesters. And she would talk to them about what were the ways that, how did they know which kids were going to be an easy target or how did they lure or trick um, children and so although this was difficult for her, obviously, um, it was an important part of research because it told um, they told us that they would they would know what the red flags of kids um, who were if a kid was educated about their body parts and they were saying things like, "Don't touch me in my penis," or that's my vulva or these are my breasts, right using appropriate words um, for body parts, and that would is probably a red flag that those kids have been educated uh about their bodies and which means they've also probably been educated to report abuse right whereas a kid uh if a kid doesn't know what to do or doesn't have boundaries and consent and and sort of saying well i, I thought that was my special place right or my cookie jar or like whatever i've heard all of them um then that's probably a sign that a kid hasn't been taught that this is inappropriate right so we know that uh we know from that research and lots of other research that uh the more education someone has, the more empowered they are, right? We know pow- um knowledge is always power. Um and so yeah, that's that's a big reason why I do this work is to prevent um to prevent kids um from being abused and to empower the kids who may have already been abused to speak up and to put an end to that abuse, to um seek out a, an adult that they trust. Yeah.
0: Okay. Okay, so now, um, do you think the Canadian healthcare system plays a huge part on the prevention of STDs and teen pregnancies? And if so, how? Or could the healthcare system do more?
2: Um, I think it can always do more. Uh, I think they play apart there are resources there but like I said um, in places like rural communities there aren't a lot of resources if you grow up somewhere or if you live somewhere like Vancouver or Richmond um, and you had an unwanted pregnancy you could you could for the most part you might need some help in navigating the system seek out an abortion have that paid for have someone help you have someone escort you explain it to you get some counseling around that Whereas if you lived in somewhere like Terrace, B.C. or somewhere like Grand Prairie or somewhere rural, um, it might be hard for you to access that. Um, a, maybe there's no clinics nearby. B, maybe there's no doctors doing that work at those clinics. And C, you just don't have the resources. So we hear about these horror stories in, in America, right, of people being um, losing their rights to have an abortion. Um, there's a lot of people in Canada that don't have the right to access, the, the right to information. So, I think um, the healthcare system needs to do better. We need to start younger. It needs to have programs for grownups, for youth, right? Um, to uh, empower them to educate their, their kids um, and to be there with bigger supports and, and protections for those who are accessing um, things like help with STIs or um, testing for STIs, that kind of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In my dream world, they would pair up with the education system and there would be like a clinic at every school with yeah. a nurse and people could get information and that would be the best. <laughs> yeah,
1: 100%. Uh, do you think that teens nowadays are sufficiently informed about birth control, STI prevention and other sexual health topics or can more be done?
2: Yeah, good question. I think more can always be done. Um, I think teens like yourselves have taken it upon you to realize, like, wait a minute, we're like, let's talk about this with our friends, right? We know that. Um we're all t- we were all talking about this when we're teenagers, right? With our friends, that's our support network. For a lot of us, that's our family, that's our safe space. Um, but I wish that there were more um, websites and apps specifically designed for youth to access this information um, where they can get that credible source, right? Um, we can all go Googling STIs. Um, that's not gonna be helpful for anyone, right? Um, but if we knew we had a specific site that we could go to that would give us real information, um, uh, that would link us up with a clinic or a doctor. I think that would be great. Um, yeah, I think there needs to be more done. Uh, but again, it needs to be that destigmatization has to happen as well. I don't want teens to feel freaked out about this, or that they can't go to a grown up, or they can't go to a youth clinic. Um, I I wish this felt like it was more of um more of a healthcare issue, and more a way that teens could empower themselves by going to a youth clinic, even just for information right and we're a place where grown-ups are not going to get weird with them so yeah i think we can always do more i think thanks to people like you who are encouraging people to do more and just by talking about it right bringing these things up um or like the project that alessi mentioned where maybe we have campaigns that are driven by youth maybe we have youth get together and make an ad an awareness campaign that we put forward to the government right i -hmm. think that's awesome
1: Mm hmm
0: Okay, so now to our final question for now. Um, what do you think is the future of direction of sexual health education? And going forward, do you think sexual health education will be critical to addressing some of the critical issues we mentioned today?
2: Ah, oh, such a big question. Um, yeah, I think we're, going, we're moving in the right direction. Uh, At least here in BC, I think a big part of it is realizing that government and policy um, and elections are important parts of how our societies will look uh, for generations to come. Um, I worry that we're headed in the direction of the United States. It's not impossible. I know a lot of Canadians, especially my friends, even think that we're immune to that happening Right. Uh, when we look at the Dobbs decision and Roe v. Wade and this upcoming today, the election today, the midterms, um, I think that there's scary stuff that we point our finger and we say we, we will we'll never be like that. Right. But I think we need to make sure that we have policy uh, and government working for to make those protections, to make it um, to make our healthcare system better, to make our education system better and to look after more people. Right. And I don't want this to be just access for privileged people. I think um, access from the ground up that everyone has access to is gonna be really important. And so, like I said, rural communities, um, online communities, places like that, where teens can safely go um, to get information. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. You could do a whole degree on that question. You could write a whole whole thesis. (laughs) (laughs) For sure.
0: Well, those were all of our questions.
1: I would like to add another question, if that's okay with you. Yeah, please. <laughs> because, uh, I thought of it while listening to you speak. So uh, when it comes to sexual health education, do you think that there's a big difference between teaching boys and teaching girls?
2: I don't think so. I used to run a program that was an, a girl empowerment program um, for young girls, ages like 8 through 12. And I did notice that the conversations that I had with girls, and it was open to um, non-binary, um, gender-creative trans kids as well, um, I noticed the conversations that I had in those rooms would be different or were different when we invited uh, boys into the room. I I do think it's important for young people with uteruses, for example, um, who are experiencing menstruation or periods, I think it's important for them to have safe spaces where they can talk about these things. And this is because we still live in a sexist world. We still live in a world where the patriarchy informs and um, stigmatizes a lot of these conversations and stops them from being more organic. So until we can live in a world where your gender has nothing to do um, with any of this, I, um, I think that it's it's worth having spaces that are safe for people to, um, you know, be be included in the group that they identify with. Uh, When it comes to sexual health and puberty and what I do with this work, absolutely. um, I want everyone to be heard in what we say. I want um, inclusive pronouns to be used. And the approach that I use is um, we start it by puberty, for example. We start by saying all bodies will experience puberty all bodies will experience it differently. All bodies will grow hair and have oily skin and grow and gain weight and feel big emotions and have mood swings, right? All bodies will do all of those puberty things, but some may experience uh, periods and some may experience wet dreams and erections, right? So when you approach it from that standpoint, that this affects all of us in a different way, and there are a few different changes that we might notice, but that we all need to know about. There's no reason why um, young boys shouldn't know how a tampon works, right? Um, that's a pretty useful life skill. Um, but but that's sort of my my take on it. Is when kids are young and we we have them all included. Um, that's just the way that classrooms look these days. That's just how our world looks. Um, There aren't any other topics that we would separate boys and girls for. So why would we do that for this? Right? I think that further adds to the stigmatization and it makes it weird, right? That's how I was taught when I was young and it was weird, right? (laughs) It didn't make sense for me, for me and my body. So, so yeah, I I love that question. And I I get that a lot from parents. They still think we should separate boys and girls, um, but that's just not what Canadian society looks like. So that's not. I don't think that's yeah. useful. I
1: asked that question mostly because I just remembered that I, I did my first six months of grade 12 still in Brazil before coming here because the school system is different. And last year, I remember that a couple of my friends, a group of girls, they decided, hey, we need to speak more about stuff that includes both men and women so and everyone. In general so they created what they called the feminist group in school and every Wednesday they would uh they still do it until now they're graduating today so but it's cool. it goes on because there's people from every grade in high school in it so it passes on to people to the freshmen who are coming each year
0: mm-hmm. so
1: the as the uh, it is called the feminist group but they don't talk only about fem- what they, what people think is feminist issues. So when we talk about feminism, people usually are like, oh, okay, empowered women, women fighting against the patriarchy and all of that. But it, it doesn't all come from only women. Everyone needs to be into it. And so we started to go for topics that a lot of people didn't even realize that were fe- that were related to feminism. And those include sex health. And we talked a lot about pornography, for an example, and why uh, a lot of people consider it to be bad, why a lot of people consider it to be an addic- a possible addiction. And some people do have a, a porn addiction and how it can affect your sex health. Uh, we also talked about how men uh, men should not be grossed out by menstruation, and they also should know about what uh, women or people with uteruses uh, do to keep themselves healthy when it comes to sex, when it comes to their gynecological issues and everything like that. And it was actually a good thing because we started with only two guys going to the group. And by the end of last year, we had more than 20 guys. Because they were still like, oh, feminism, that that's funny. Feminism, ha, ha, ha. And then they started going, they started learning. They started saying, hey, this is actually important. We need to know about this. And one day we decided to make a meeting about how they felt and all of that. And it was interesting because they were like, well, no one takes our issues really seriously. So we just joke about everything. Hmm. That was interesting because then it makes a lot of sense because when you try, as you as an educator, you mentioned that uh, students usually are like, "Oh, penis, vagina, ha 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 ha." When you try to teach them, and usually I assume it's mostly the boys who do
2: that. It's not though, and that's it's not mostly that's, them. No, and that's part of the assumptions that we make, right? Like really? because of the stigma. That boys are, you know, allowed to take up more space. They're allowed to be more immature, right?
0: Yeah. That's a
2: social script that we've written, right? That's a gender. Boys will be boys. Yeah, that's the thing. It's a, This is part of our our stigma and our socialization playing into this, thinking that, oh... A man can't be a feminist or like, oh, wait, you shouldn't be at this meeting or like whose space is this for? Right. Whereas at the end of the day, it's like I said, it's about bodies. It's about health. It's about ownership, empowerment, consent. Those are topics for everybody. Right. Regardless of of whether you're able bodied or disabled. Right. Or or trans or cis or. Yeah, that's really interesting. I love I loved hearing that about your group. But and at the end of the day, the definition of feminism is just equality. Right. Yes, this is what feminists want. So there's no reason why everyone shouldn't be included in that group. Right. Of course, there's different factions of of feminism, of course, different groups. But but that's yeah, that's unfortunate that feminism is still a dirty word um, and people are still scared off by that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I also noticed that when it
1: comes to like sex, uh, women are demonized. For it when Mm -hmm. whereas guys are like, Oh yeah, you got with I don't know how many girls, hell yeah, you're an alpha male. Like you go, guy, get more girls, as many girls as you can get, the better you are. Whereas if a girl like kisses two guys, suddenly sorry for my vocabulary, but suddenly she's a
2: slut. Of course, yeah, slut shaming. So the media plays a huge role in that um and again it's just sexism it's gendered right and it's it's the way that we envision that um who gets to enjoy their body and who doesn't and who gets Mm -hmm. to show or share that they're enjoying their body or not right um and of course of course yeah men aren't getting called sluts they're getting called players right or pimp or g or whatever it is these Mm -hmm. days um but it's 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 um it's pretty easy to see that that script everywhere we look in society. We see that everywhere. Um, And kids as young as grade three are picking up on that. They understand that script, right? So they start to believe into that stereotype um, Mm -hmm. and it starts to control the ways that we act, right? And the ways that we think about people.
1: Yeah, just the last thing that got me thinking, I had been thinking of this for a while and I had actually had a few discussions on it back in my school in Brazil. do you think that sex health education like as it is in the curriculum is way too like turned to the heteronormativity like it's only about straight couples and everything like men and women that's it because yeah. usually when i look at like sex health sure sometimes people talk about like homo uh homosexual uh relations sex relations uh as like oh yeah just put a condom on and be free but when it comes to like women like women uh, loving women and no one talks about it there isn't like a specific form of like prevention of stis yeah. when in homosexual relationships with women or people with vaginas vulvas
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh you, and that, that can be dangerous
2: right that can be dangerous yeah, thinking it could. that or Uh, through bacteria in your mouth uh, not clean hands yeah not providing everyone with the information um, is the same reason that people like um, people with disabilities or neurodiverse individuals um, a lot of them just see them as like sexless people right whereas they of of course, have sexual needs, desires, ideas, right? Um, They just might get that information or need that information um, delivered to them in a different format, right? Um, That suits their abilities. So yeah, I think that you're right. And I also think that the way that our curriculum works is we talk about it as um, there are lots of different kinds of sex. A lot of kids ask me, well, what even is sex, right? And I would never tell them that that, sex is vaginal sex, right? Penis and vagina. That's one of the only types of sex that will, or that's the only type of sex that will lead to a pregnancy. Yes. There are also lots of ways to get pregnant though. Um, but I tell them that sex, uh, it doesn't matter which bodies are coming together or what body parts are being used. The important part is that it's what those people want and that they're both consenting to it. That or that they're all consenting, right? Mm-hmm. So when Can we I... think about sex like that, that's a much broader scope, right? That includes everybody. Yeah, go ahead and Sorry, sure.
0: I just wanted to add from my perspective. I also just learned about the hetero, like the way of sex with like between men and women. I never learned about like woman woman or men and men in school. I just mm-hmm. learned about it over social media, over like in the internet, but by myself and not from school and that's just a point i always thought about like i i need to um like get information about a lot of stuff from the internet because i didn't get it from the school or my yeah. parents
2: yeah and so many kids ask me an anonymous question how do you, how do gay women have sex how do gay men have yeah. sex and we do yeah. tell them there's lots of different kinds of sex um and i think you're right it's all working it's all working within this framework of sort of heteronormative um sex as not pleasurable unless you're a man right sex is going to lead to a baby and everyone's going to enjoy that type of sex one day that's just not true right not everyone's going to have babies not everyone's going to have sex not everyone's going to enjoy sex right um so there's all there's all there's so much more to it thank you
0: so much yeah be really, uh, and i have a short question like you yeah. said some people are sending you an analog- Anonymous. Anonymous. Anonymous.
2: Anonymous. 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 <laughs> anonymous yeah. questions.
0: I do. I do, do
2: well, we do them during my presentation with grade sixes and sevens. Mm-hmm. Um, I give them a little piece of paper and a pencil, and they all have to write something down oh, because okay. I know in grade six, seven, you're not going to ask the same question you were going to in grade two. And then we also, you can always email. Um, I get kids to email me if they want, and they yeah, can answer okay. questions. There's also um, something called the sex sense line. And we send, it's a, um, a 24-hour phone number uh, that kids can call and get information about anything they're wondering about. So okay. that's a, a really anonymous way, and they have, they have incredible information. Yeah. yeah. So okay. there's lots of ways that, that kids just need to know about, right, if they're looking yeah. for information.
1: Well, thank you so much for your time yeah. to help us with this project, to no uh, give this interview for a podcast. Uh, it was a great talk, actually. Yeah. It also helped me like get some stigma off my head that I still yeah. had and I didn't know I still had. For me too. Uh, it was interesting learning all about that.